0: Hi, everybody. My name is Dave, and this is my brother, Andrew. Hi, everybody. This episode of the Disciple Types podcast features John. And for this series, we're doing bite-sized overviews of each disciple. In a future series, we'll take a deeper dive into each disciple type. If you listen to our podcasts about the theory behind disciple types, you may remember that there are four core aspects of our personalities that reflect the image of God. These are tradition, experience, reason, and Revelation. Each different disciple type emphasizes two of these aspects more than the others. For John, Revelation is his primary aspect, and he supports this with experience, which is his secondary aspect. So Andrew, when it comes to John, how do we see these aspects of his personality play out in the Gospel story?
1: When we first meet John, he's out in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness. He's a disciple of John the Baptist, who's this sort of... People viewed him as a crazy guy who ate locusts and and wore camel hair for clothing. And so we meet John on the fringes of society. He's, he's a fisherman by trade with his brother James, but he's not fishing when we first meet him. He's out in the wilderness, and he is listening to John the Baptist giving sort of these apocalyptic sermons, really calling uh, the, the religious elite out on their hypocrisy. And then we have a moment When John the Baptist sees Jesus and he said, there is the Lamb of God. And so John, along with Andrew, who is also there, another disciple, they immediately follow Jesus. Hmm. So John the Baptist is someone who most people in polite society think is a bit of a kook. But John, (laughs) John is listening to John the Baptist and following what he's saying This really you know, kind of a strange thing to say, this is the Lamb of God. So what we learn about John from the first moment we meet him is this idea that he is open to new revelations. He's open to the supernatural, to the spiritual explanations for what is happening in the world around him. And he's expectant for something big to happen. He's not a fisherman who's just looking for his next meal or his next big catch that he can sell. He is not satisfied with that. He is out in the wilderness looking for something more, something deeper. And what we see is that that drive to find the, the the sublime higher truth in life. So that's what's driving John to be out there in the wilderness. But we also see another aspect of revelation when he follows Jesus, they say, Can we can we hang out with you? Can we spend the day with you? Hmm. And they do, and they they spend the rest of that day. We don't know what they talked about but it was just Jesus, John, and Andrew having this really intimate conversation that uh, is really disguised from us. No No one reports what was said in that conversation. So we can assume that it was pretty intimate, that they really got to know Jesus on a personal level. And after that point, Jesus officially calls them and their brothers as well to become disciples. So we see that John, as compared to some of the other disciples, was really on the forefront looking for Jesus. He was expecting the Messiah, not necessarily sure what form that would take, Mm -hmm. but being open to someone saying, this is something big that's happening. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so from the get-go, John, James, and Peter tend to be at miracles that are performed by Jesus that some of the other disciples are not and we don't necessarily know why they're not there. We don't mm-hmm. know if they weren't invited, if Jesus said, hey, you guys, you come with me, or if it's just that these, that these three guys were uh, always available, always willing. So some examples are they were there for the resurrection of Jairus' daughter, just the three. They were there for the transfiguration of Jesus. And so John really had this reputation of being very close to Jesus.
0: So it sounds like John was part of an inner circle along with Peter, James, and John. Did this impact John in any way?
1: Absolutely. And it affected James, his brother, as well. You may remember that Jesus actually nicknamed James and John Boanerges. It's a pretty uh, weird name that means that means sons of thunder. Now, that could mean uh, sons of their father, Zebedee, but most people think that it means that they had fiery tempers, hmm. that they were loud and boisterous. And I think we see that pretty clearly from what what they do in the gospel story. There's a couple examples of them being very prideful of their place and position in Jesus's inner circle, where they believe that their position gave them uh, extra permission or license to judge other people. So one example is where they ask Jesus to sit at the right and left hand in his glory in heaven. (laughs) Pretty presumptuous. Exactly. And the other disciples heard about this question and they were pretty upset, and Jesus rebukes them, Mm -hmm. and he says, whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, so teaching them that lesson in humility. But they didn't quite learn the lesson at at first, because there's another example uh, when the disciples have a run-in with some Samaritans, and they're defending Jesus's honor, and they're saying, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from
0: heaven to destroy them? And that it's just it's it's yeah, it's in, it's it's a different level, almost power crazed. Right. Absolutely. And they, they
1: believe they think. Can you imagine thinking that you have the permission and the ability to just be like, oh, I'm going to tell God to, to kill you? <laughs> um, yeah. So so we really definitely clearly see a pattern of these two brothers when they're together and they're, they're mentioned 18 times together as a pair and that's way more than anybody else like for example Andrew and Peter are also brothers yeah but they're rarely listed together as as a group as a pair mm-hmm. but James and John early in the in the gospels are mentioned all the time together almost exclusively together rather than as individuals so they really reinforce each other's worst tendencies we can kind of see that they really share this This thing in common, which is being in the inner circle, both pursuing revelation, both believing that their access to Jesus and his revelations makes them special and gives them license to uh, tell other people the way it
0: is. And even threaten to kill them.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And each time that happens, Jesus is there with a rebuke to them.
0: How did John react to these rebukes? How did he respond when he was rebuked by Christ for this arrogance or presumptuousness?
1: That's a good question. And actually, we see that James and John respond differently, as far as we can tell from what's presented in the Gospel. So when it comes to James, we don't really hear very much about James after this story. He shows up again in Acts, mentioned apart from John. But we really start to focus more on John as an individual. John is mentioned no longer as a part of a pairing with James, but as, as a solitary person but not just the solitary person, because we notice that he starts to spend more time with Peter. And this is really interesting because Peter is, uh, Peter's personality, he has sort of the inverse of John, where his primary aspect is experience, and his secondary aspect is revelation, which is the opposite, because John is revelation first, experience second, and Peter is experience first and revelation second so it's really interesting and this is something we see again and again when it comes to how the disciple types interact which is people who have their their primary and secondary flipped tend to really help each other grow and we see that that jesus clearly understands this about about uh, peter and john because he pairs them together going forward it's no longer that that james and john are always sent out together but jesus specifically says to peter and john that they should go uh, and do something. And, and one of the things we see is that he sends Peter and John to go and prepare for the Passover meal. And he sends on them on this crazy quest uh, to go and find a place and say that the teacher asks you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And they go and do it, and it's just as Jesus said. And this is something that, that uh, someone who's more internal, uh, like John, where it's uh, focusing on the revelations— uh, that are beyond this present world. That's not something that John would really be very good at uh, or really be very interested in because it's very it's logistics. Lo- exactly. It's, it's a logistical task. It's an errand. Um, and so we find that Peter is helping John. Open up to new experiences. So John, we know at uh, underneath his revelations, he is, is is seeking out new experiences to feed his revelations. So it's like he's searching for the the ultimate truth of this life. and and the way he does that and finds new information is by getting new experiences. But there's a sort of a limiting factor to that that if you're if you're so focused on revelation, which is his, his primary, uh, he may neglect trying to have those new experiences unless the people around him really bring it out into him. So it's really a complementary relationship.
0: And Peter Peter did that where James couldn't. Absolutely, because we, we
1: find, and we'll, we'll discuss James in a future podcast, he is someone who really focused on Revelation almost exclusively. We really don't get any information about James that is not wrapped around him being part of this inner circle and being somewhat prideful over it. Um, but when it comes to uh, Peter, he's really bringing something out of John that John needs to grow. And so after this story, we start to see Peter and John together almost constantly, almost mentioned as a pair just as much as John was with James earlier. And so some examples of that. So we I mentioned that they're preparing for the Passover. Well, after, uh, after the Passover meal at the Last Supper— and Jesus is arrested in the garden. Again, it's John and Peter who are the ones who pursue Jesus when he's been arrested and, and going to his trial. And so John and Peter are trying to get into the trial, and they help each other. John helps uh, get Peter past uh, the guard because Peter ha- uh, John has this special connection, special relationship with someone inside. And so that's another example of John's focus on revelation, making him have very uh, personal connection to people that he could get inside. But once inside, we we remember the familiar story of Peter being recognized three times, called out for it, and then he denies that he knows Jesus three times. It's a very you know powerful story. But John is also there, and he is not recognized. Um, and if he is. It's not something that he feels compelled to deny. So we don't you know, know all the details about it. But what we do know is that they had very different reactions. So they both were pursuing Jesus. And we can sort of imagine that Peter, again, is getting John to go out of his comfort zone and actually go and pursue. Uh, all the other disciples scatter. But, but, but Peter is always someone who's always on the lookout, always needs to be where the action is. And he's sort of driving John in that direction. But when, when push comes to shove and, and, and they're being called out for being followers of Jesus, it's John who stays true and Peter who, because of his, his focus on experience, is very concerned with appearances and what other people think of him. And so he sort of – I mean it's a failure in, in this instance.
0: Peter would admit that it was a failure. He knew it was.
1: Absolutely, and that's what makes it such a powerful story. And we'll we'll discuss that in more, more depth in, in Peter's episode. But as it pertains to John, we see how Peter drove John forward. But then John's very close personal loyalty to Jesus is what kept him on the path, and he followed through all the way to the foot of the cross, and he's the only disciple to do so. And it's this really powerful image of John just being extremely close and extremely drawn to Jesus all the way at personal cost to be there. And that, that, that is a perfect illustration of how revelation and experience can merge together and, and work together to propel someone into that deeper relationship. It's not this, this revelation where it's all head in the clouds and, and what is the truth, what is the word, the word became flesh. So the word is this mystical uh, sense of, of who God is, but becoming flesh makes it tangible. And so, so, it, and so that is how uh, we can think about Revelation being uh, supported and, and connecting with experience. And so that is what brought John to the foot of the cross. But then something very interesting happens at the cross, and that is where Jesus says to his mother, woman, here is your son, speaking about John, and says to John, this is your mother. And from that point on, John becomes responsible for Mary. Right. And this is something new to John. Um, he was someone who really cared about being able to be free to pursue his his interests, his focus on Revelation. He was somebody who who wasn't you know, fishing all day, but he he took a break to go not to the synagogue, but out to the wilderness uh, to meet mm-hmm. John the Baptist. Um, and so, to then be given this very uh, practical task, a, a very laborious task of taking care of the physical needs of Jesus's mother, mm-hmm. um, it must have been quite a challenge for John. But it's something that that he rose to. He realized in that moment that his natural personality of revelation and experience is not the whole picture of who he's supposed to be right he is the image of god we all are in the image of god but we're not the complete perfect image of god so it doesn't mean that because we have our specific personalities and they make us who we are that we just rest on that and say well this is the way i am i don't have to grow i don't have to be any different and, you know, other people have to accommodate me. It's not about that. It's about saying, recognizing who we are mm-hmm. and who we can become, who we are going to become. And and we'll never reach that ultimate goal until we're in heaven. But we can be growing through the Spirit um, in and throughout our lives. And that's really what we see in John's story here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that. If you look at John in a more conventional way, you might say, wow, what a spiritual person. He's so in tune, right? He seems like the kind of person that would definitely be a disciple, the kind of person whose temperament would definitely make him stand out in a pool of candidates for a disciple of Jesus. But if we look at temperament as we're doing with the God of the Bible as the template then what we might call spirituality can be better understood as what we're calling revelation. It's more than just the stereotypical dreamer. So John, this guy with his metaphorical head in the metaphorical clouds, actually, in order to be more spiritual, he needed to be brought back down to earth. What I mean is that though it might seem contradictory, actually John and and someone like John, in order to be more true to this spiritual side of themselves, in order to be more spiritual, they need to be grounded. And as you point out, Drew, Jesus sets the template for this. As John, in his poetic way, says, the word is made flesh. So the word of God in Jesus, the divine, the spiritual, God himself is brought down to earth and puts on flesh. And John, this spiritual person with his head in the clouds, does get grounded by getting involved in the literal physical needs of someone else. Jesus doesn't take away or disparage the revelation aspect of John's character. That part of him remains. But he gives him a mission that brings together that sensitive, spiritual part of his character with a part that learns from experience. He does this by telling him to take care of his mother. He says, uh, take care of my mother, her everyday needs. Be what a son is to her because I'll, I'll be gone. It's powerful. Yeah, and I think it's it, it's a
1: good message to all of us to say, you know, what is our personality naturally, and and who we are, and to embrace that, but then to say, how can we grow? And and just as you were saying, for John, that meant he had all the things that we think of when it comes to uh, a spiritual person, uh, and and we a lot of people will try to emulate John, but. To realize that we all have a certain gift um, and and part of that gift is our natural personalities and to embrace what that is but always look for that that opportunity to grow. And also look for other people who will bring that out of us when we ha- uh, meet our weak points and which will always happen. We're not going to be perfect.
0: Right, and, and to be alert for people who we will always resonate with in a certain way but who also may um, – May encourage bad behavior because of the way that they're temperamentally predisposed.
1: Exactly. So, it, I, just like James, uh, they got along very well. They were brothers, but very close brothers, right. because they had a lot in common. Right. But that was—it was too much. Maybe it worked when they were younger, but as they started to mature, we can see that that John was really searching for something more. And and a great example of that uh, near the end of the gospel is when John and Peter are the ones who run to the tomb Hmm. when they hear that jesus uh, has is no longer there Hmm. and john gives a great story when, when he's writing his gospel he says i ran well he doesn't say himself by name but he's alluding to himself and he says that john ran to the tomb faster than peter he got there first but john did not go in right Peter is the one who runs straight in. You know, Peter's very impulsive. He runs straight in and takes a look at, at, and sees what's in there, or not in there, I should say. And only after that does John then go in, more tentatively, trying to take in what is the meaning of this. And that's that's his revelation side. What is let me think about what this means when Peter is just there for the experience and he'll he'll sort through what it means later. Right. But right now I gotta see it. And so you can see them really uh, complementing each other really well. And and so John is, is giving Peter uh, a higher meaning and purpose to what he's experiencing. And Peter is always pushing John forward to have those new experiences. It shows how John came so far from the beginning of where we find him, where he's out in the wilderness. He is, he is looking, but he is uh, very much disconnected from society right. in the sense that uh, the wilderness is where is on the fringe of things. So Peter is someone who really grounds him, and we see it in John as he grows and also as he wrote later in life that his beautiful words of revelation were brought down to earth and given to all of humanity uh, for thousands of years, influencing people's hearts and minds and, uh, and it's all because John was open to embracing who he is, but also growing and surrounding himself with people who can help him grow.
0: That's really awesome. I look forward to hearing more about some of these other disciples like Peter and the impacts that people had on their lives as well. Please subscribe to the Disciple Types podcast and keep an eye out for future episodes featuring the other disciples and their types. You can find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'll see you next time.